So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here's the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I am so excited to be joined. You know, I would say Cash Flow to Freedom, but as we know, it's changing to just the A.J. Osborne podcast. So this is going to be one of our first podcasts, either as A.J. Osborne or last podcast as Cash Flow to Freedom, depending on the next two weeks and where my guys can get it. So our guest today, I guess, hey, man, this is like very non-important history in the making. But Jonathan Tuttle is my podcast guest, and I'm excited to have him on as the first or the last because it's one of the two. Um, but the reason why I actually uh, had Jonathan come on to this one is because I'm obsessed with his niche. It is so awesome, and it is uh, very, I think, gaining so much light in the past few days or a few days, few years, and we want to talk about why. With that, Jonathan, welcome, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Excited to be hopefully the, the first or the last. That's one, right. Either one. Either one. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, you know, your, your niche that you focus on, um, I love it because it has a lot of the same aspects of uh, my specific niche, and I also love it because it's not a mainstream one. And so I think that there's huge value in it, which we're going to get into all of that, which I'm super excited to, as um, I kind of mentioned to you before, but as my podcast listens, this podcast is, I don't want to say all about me, but it's all about what I want to talk about. And so I have like these intellectual curiosities in investing and certain asset classes that I just like, I, I'm very curious about. And your asset class is one that is just top up there. There's a lot of uh, less information out there about it, and there's uh, not nearly as many players. So um, with that said, why don't you give us a little background first? You know, who are you? Where the heck did you come from? And why are we talking about mobile homes? Sure, sure. <clears throat> yeah, like, exactly what you alluded to is uh, when I first got involved in the space about 15 years ago, through my dad, we would, I'd tell my friends and back then, you know, like it was just like such a unique, it's still unique, but even back then it was like the wild, wild west. You tell your friends like, hey, I'm involved with mobile home parks. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yep. Uh, That's how it was when I got started in storage. Same exactly. thing. Exactly. In I, fact, I, I was told it. I was a slumlord when I got started in, in storage. So, yeah, exact same uh, same reaction at the card table. Like, okay, this guy's a little weird. I'm gonna have to move to the next spot over here. But um, yeah, so about 15 years ago, but got involved in the space. My dad was. Uh, I grew up in a real estate family. So he was a general contractor, built about 80 custom homes. So as a kid, I'd see from the ground up how to develop single family. Uh, he also had three real estate brokerage offices. So he had the, the GC side and he also had the brokerage side. So I got to see both sides of that. And then eventually later on, he started buying more commercial estate. Fast forward until about 15 years ago, he got his first mobile home park. We get together. And that's what really, it was kind of just seeing how it did really well in the last downturn. That's what really sparked my interest. And in. I went full forward the last, from like 2010 to 15, I was brokering mobile home parks and then the last couple of years been focused on acquisitions. So, so, you know, this, why when looking at it, you know, you have a lot of different ways you can go, right? 
what were kind of the highlights? What why did you choose this one? There was you know everything from there's so many different ways to go in real estate. This is a this is a question that always interests me because there's so many ways you can go in real estate, right? As you know, there's just so many ways. So what was probably the top things? Like what said, nope, this is it, as opposed to any other one? Yeah, you're right. It's like the riches are in the niches, finding your way. There's so many ways to make money in real estate, but finding where you carve out your own path. The one thing that really first drew me to it was it wasn't oversaturated and it wasn't as more blue ocean. So you were not competing with like, for example, single family where everyone, the entire room is doing single family. They're all watching TV shows, yep. uh, multifamily. It, yeah, it's a great dynamic to it, but it takes a lot of capital. And it was still this kind of intriguing component where you could come up and acquire parks and it wasn't as much capital intensive. It wasn't as much complications. And then we looked at it logically like, okay, well, we know America, there's 60 million Americans need affordable housing. And now I know there's 12 million mobile homes approximately. So we know huge demand and very little supply and you can't really develop new parks. So once I found out this information and they're not developing new ones, there's very few. And usually what it is, it's usually some kind of conversion where it's like an RV. Sometimes there might be actually some self-storage, very, very small, but some self-storage component to it on the, on the community or park. Uh, but it was just that whole <clears throat> supply demand and just being something unique and just the, the numbers just made sense. That's what, that's what really drew me to it. And it just got really exciting from there. No, I, I, I love that. I mean, you know, it's honestly even something that I look at self storage and I'm like, man, we used to be overlooked. It used to be like yeah. a blue, blue ocean. And right now self storage has got to be the hottest thing out there. It's just like, everybody's trying to get into it. Everybody's building it. It's had the, the largest increase of new development of any real estate asset class in the world or in, in America, at least I don't know. I guess I don't know what's going on in Africa, but uh, definitely in America. And um, it makes me wonder, like, is that niche gone? Like all the REITs are in it, Wall Street's in it. You know, it's like everybody is poured into it. And maybe that's why my curiosity with mobile home parks, because yeah, but it's not like we n people don't know about mobile home parks, but it's not feverish, right? It's not like that's just the drum on the street. It's it's when I talk talk to people out of all the asset classes, mobile home parks isn't the one that they say, "Yeah, I want to go into," which I love why you went into it because that's the same reason I went into self storage. When I got into it, there's nobody that went into self storage. And I didn't even tell people I invest in self-storage, but the numbers made sense. And the economic outlook, like you're talking about, these economic drivers were so fundamentally good for the industry. And it just seemed like a no-brainer, even though it wasn't the hot item. So I love that because it's so reminiscent of how I got started. Yeah, and you bring up some great points because the consolidation is happening in our industry as well. I think... Mm -hmm. Being in alternative asset classes, and we've seen, and especially this year, COVID, we've seen some of these other industries. Obviously, nobody's traveling, so the hotels are getting crushed, lodgings getting crushed, everyone shopping on Amazon or e-commerce stores. So retail's getting crushed, strip centers are getting crushed. So, and that's just only just pushed our industries forward into you know limelight even more because of like these institutional players and these like you said, Wall Street, they're looking to put capital. Where can they go that's safe and in demand and actually have, you know fills a void? Uh, but it's, we're, we think there's probably a five or seven year run. Just give you a little context. Um, our industry is about 20 years older than yours, approximately 2025. 
but we're a lot less consolidated. So you like you, the point you made is one hundred percent right. Yeah. We're not as consolidated. It's probably extraordinarily fragmented. And and for people yeah. listening, fragmented is a good thing. What when yep. we say fragmented, what we are talking about is like you know. And I've often said self storage. Right. It started when I started, it was like mobile home parks. So that meant 80 over 80 percent, only 10. When I got started, only 10 percent of the industry was owned by big players that owned lots of them or were funds. Right. Only 10 percent when I got started. That meant all 90 percent were owned by single operators and mom and pops. What that translates for people like, you know, me and Jonathan here, there's things to buy and there's less competition. So when we say fragmented is good. That is good yeah. for the buyer. Is that, a, is that a good way to explain that? Exactly. And right now we're kind of like how you guys were, we're about 10 years behind you guys or self storage. So we still have that. I think it's yes. the five or six year one, but that's how we're at the mom and pop or the majority it's handed down second, third generation. And right now they're getting such compelling offers uh, because of all the Wall Street trying to get into it. So it's really compressed our, we thought we had like a seven or 10 year run. I think COVID just increased our demand, probably cut it in half. So the real opportunity, if you first started getting out is go for the smaller mom pops. And if you live within a close proximity or in two hours, that might make sense to be hands-on owner, maybe not for, uh, you know, skill of economics that you're scaling. But when you're first starting out to get familiar with the industry, you could scoop up some of these smaller ones, you know, do some capex, better management, turn around, flip them, keep it for a couple of years, uh, do the you know cost segregation analysis, bonus depreciation, take all these advantages you get from taxes, and then flip into something bigger. So, and then you get your record, you know, your name and recognition in the industry. But it's really, like you said, it's the opportunity is now. But if you listen to this podcast five or ten years for either our niches, I think it's going to be people that have been really, really established, or you're just going to. Yeah, premium, basically. Before COVID, I said we have 20 years until uh, self-storage is just like every single other asset class. After COVID, it's 10 years or under. The yeah. consolidation that has happened alone in the last five years was like, it was something like 10% of the entire industry consolidated in like two years. Crazy. I mean, mind-blowing numbers. Because if you compound that out, what that, what that means, um, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, when I go out and when I'm at either events or talking to other people, it's been weird that because of COVID, the mainstream assets, which is crazy. I'm actually writing a book on this transition of asset stuff. And it's why I love talking to you right here right now, because these gold standards that we had, like I grew up in an era where all real estate investing ideology was challenged, right? The gold standard retail and housing can never fail. Both yep. turned out to be epically wrong, right? <laughs> it, like that was when I started in the early 2000s, yeah. that was just known. Housing never goes down and retail, like owning retail set center debt was like owning a government bond because yeah. Target and Shopco are the safest investments out there. They have long-term leases. They're never going to break them. They use huge amounts of space, so there's little work to be done, yet it's encompassing, and people have just made so much money. And you had those two things obviously be ch challenged because of 2008. Then you had the um, the uh, Amazon combined with oversupply and some other things. But now we're in an era where, like you just mentioned, they're challenging things that were never challenged before, like apartment buildings. Because in some states, you can't even collect rent right now. Yep. 
There's no recourse at all. People could stop paying you and there's nothing that you can do, which was unfathomable a year ago. And it's drawn so many eyes to the mobile home industry and self-storage because we're not dealing with those problems. In fact, if anything, our demand's up again. Yeah, you're 100% right. We've seen, uh, yeah, like you said, alluded to with the, even Chicago-based, uh, Walgreens is based out of Chicago. I think they closed like three or 400 locations for the next, each per year for the next few years. And that's obviously triple net lease, which is directly correlates to what you said. That used to be mailbox money, but now they're closing Walgreens, which you'd think would be, it's all due to e-commerce. So we had right now this year, institutional data showing a 94% collection rate during the entire year during COVID. And then uh, I was at the Southeastern Conference owner. It was obviously uh, digitally online. Mm-hmm. And they had the one of the head of uh, Wells Lending there. And they handle all different asset classes. And it's like, we can't even believe the collection rate for parks. It's like 96% we're seeing based on our owners. And the reason is half our demographic is baby boomers. And like the average baby boomer, like 70% of them, they just collect the social security check and they have 25000 $30,000. they are not going to go to the uh, assisted living centers. It's cost $5,000 per month. So where are they going to go? They're going to go to us or they're going to go to Class C apartment. And the Class C well, apartment... Continue, continue. I, yeah, and the Class C apartment, we look at the value. If you're 65, 70, do you really want to walk up three stores or three flights of stairs? Do you really want to hear the neighbor's TV? Do you really want to park your car half a block away? They want to own their own. And then you want to pay double price. They want to have their own place. Yep. You know, and this is the thing that maybe I'm contrarian in this, but I'm all about mobile homes because I, I look at it like this and people that are like, oh, I don't want to invest in that because it's either an ice or something. I, I go, well, where do you want people to go? So you want people to have to either pay in high rent environments, which rent in most places and in most cities today is getting either unaffordable, it's already unaffordable, or is outrageously un- uh, uh, unaffordable, right? It's just, it's gone so high. And housing today in the United States, I don't know what fraction of the population can't afford it, but it's got to be enormous. I mean, housing prices where I live in Idaho, where, you know, you go anywhere right now because of low debt, people just can't buy homes. So what there's, there has, people have to have options and they have to have yep. good ones. And if you've never spent any time in mobile home parks, you don't understand the quality of the product they're putting out. Well, I look at that and I'm going, that's way better than a flipping two bedroom, one bathroom apartment. These are nice. And so they're good alternative options for people and they want them. So why wouldn't we provide good, affordable housing? I think that's a great thing. Yeah. And it comes down to the government. The government doesn't, the zoning stipulations of them not wanting it. Uh, And also just give you a, uh, for the tenants, like for example, I don't know if you lived in a one of our parks, for example, and you lived across the street and you had 150 or 200,000, which would be considered affordable housing, they're paying, because Illinois has astronomically high real estate taxes, three or $4,000 a year, if not more, for the real estate taxes for this $150,000 house, but if they live in the mobile home, 10 bucks a month. Oh, so that's geez. like their equity. So they're, they're saving three or four grand a year and average mobile home tenant stays 14 years. So right there, and they have the same school, same fire, same police, all the same advantages and a safe community. And like you said, the newer homes, I mean, Warren Buffett owns Clayton Owens. They produce half of, they produce just under 50,000 mobile homes per year. And if you go to the, there's a Louisville show, it's actually being canceled, of course, COVID, but it's in January. But if, if anybody is interested in the space, I recommend going there and walking through these units. Like you mentioned, they are like 
you know, I live in Chicago in the class A apartment buildings, luxury apartments. It's not much different if it's beautiful interior, like everything's top of the line. It's there. Now we've, you know, now you, the whole stigma that you perceive it to be. And of course there's older mobile homes, but if you're in a small town in the middle of Iowa and the average house, 150,000, you have like a nice clean new carpet, new fresh paint and a kitchen. That's all you need anyway. Yeah, I've seen mobile homes. So, you know, I went and, uh, Toured my co-host and uh, uh, um, uh, also uh, one of the guys we work with here on Cedar Creek Wealth Side, um, Connor, um, which anybody that listens to it knows. His wife, um, Danielle, she works in mobile homes. We went and got a tour and see how those things were made, which was mind-blowing. Like, it's the coolest thing ever. If you've never gone and toured a manufacturing thing for a mobile home, you got to do it. But the thing that I was most impressed about, like they were coming out with like new different types of mobile homes where it was like these glass and it was like all porch. It looked like something that you would park on a mountainside. And it was, this was nice. This was good quality. You're walking in and you're going, it really changes your perception. And the affordability of that thing was crazy. I mean, I'm thinking it was like, I don't know, 50,000 or something like that, $60,000. And I was blown away. Like this was an amazing product at, you know, 60 grand where in our area, the average house sells for, you know, 250 plus. And that's, that really changes, you know, kind of your perception of what mobile home parks are. But with that said, correct me if I'm wrong, mobile home parks in the United States is shrinking. The market's actually shrinking, right? Yeah, due to basically redevelopment. So the cities, they don't like the tax base because it's cheaper taxes. They'd rather redevelopment. If you're in like Florida, you're in California where the land is worth so much. And a lot of times these will be in like like on a lake or like on a nice waterfront. It's better to have a resort type property. It's better to have a assisted living center where they collect a lot more taxes or the owner just like, you know what? It's mom and pops have had it for 40, 50 years. I'd rather just sell it for a land play. You know, maybe it, even though they're getting astronomically high prices, some people just let it go and just, you know, for whatever reason. So I've heard data is about 1% per year, but that seems a little high. There's approximately 44,000 mobile home parks based on the, most of the data out there. Uh, but that's the beauty about when you're on the investor side of it, because supply and demand, it's not my backyard. You control, if you have a, something, you have a basically a huge moat where everyone needs the affordable housing and you have that asset, it gives you peace of mind knowing that, Hey, I know my like this thing is only going to appreciate based on all these dynamics, economics, and there's always somebody willing to come in and scoop it up when I want to you know, dispose of, you know, of the property when I want to exit. So, so what does your exit strategy looks like on these? Because this brings up a good good point. Um, like when you go, what is, we know there's a lot of demand, but also correct me if I'm wrong, financing is weird with mobile home parks, right? It's different. It's not standardized like a lot of other asset classes. Could you touch on that real quick? Yeah. So this, this is a really interesting dynamic because about 10 years ago, Fannie and Freddie never would even touch our space. And about five years ago, they get involved. HUD housing has been involved with us since 1976. And uh, Dr. Ben Carson, who's the national director of HUD, um, he, I was actually supposed to speak with him on the national mobile home stage this year, but it got canceled. It would have been great. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so they've been pushing the affordable housing and the, uh, Fannie and Freddie, 37% of, uh, of affordable housing financing. And it's due to, with uh, Fannie and Freddie has to go towards affordable housing. It's mobile home parks, the biggest recipient of it. So for the first time we're getting this, this is what also costing the causing cat rate compression. 
because we're getting such great terms, we're for the first time ever lower than multifamily. So we've seen this year uh, high twos, low threes, 10, 10 year non recourse. Uh, and one of the stipulations they have for for financing mobile home parks, it comes down to basically what they want is a, a clean community, skirting, well maintained grounds in like the park community area. Uh, but they also want less park owned homes. That's the biggest thing because you don't want to have all the liability. You want to basically own the land, be like kind of a land lease and the tenant owns the, the home. So they usually have requirements like 20 or 25 homes uh, up to before they consider they won't, depending on the size of the acquisition, but they want you, uh, you to basically sell those off basically. So, and that's because it's personal property. They don't want to be in the, you know, it's basically selling cars because their titles yeah. and, so that's the dynamic to it. Now, do you, also, this is an important part because you talk about the ownership of the homes. And, and now, <clears> are do you own the homes or are you allowing them to own it? Are you renting it to? How's that? Because I know that's different. So could you explain? That'll help out a lot in understanding too, because this is a, a, a different strange part because I hear different mobile home park owners structure that differently. Yeah. And it comes down to what's available too. Uh, when you're doing acquisitions or when you're buying a park, like our, our strategy and what we like, we want to have the tenants own like, there might be a couple, but we want to have the tenants own the homes and we get it off our hands because it's less management. It's less marketing, you know, trying to get new tenants in there. Um, and then also Warren Buffett has another company, 21st, he has a called the 21st cash program. So they're financing for people to bring in homes. So ideally what the best play is like the land, land lease play where you want to have your hands clean. They, you know, it's their home, their pride of ownership. You could do a contract to own, let them, you know, they could go to the local credit union, or use one of the other programs out there, and we just want to rent the land. And basically, what we do is we provide a safe community. They rent the lot, and then ideally, if it's allowed, is to build back the water and sewer. So when you're doing acquisitions, for example, you look at one way is to improve the uh, NOI and the cash flow and the exit and get a higher exit um, is to get the improve operational. And one way you could do that is build back any utilities that's in the parks name, put it back in the tenants. Besides raising rents ethically bring in some capex, you know, make it beautify the front end entrance, uh, add some amenities, basic amenities, grills, um, you know, dog park, a little dog area, stuff like that. Just similar stuff you'd see in the apartment, but just do it on a smaller scale. Depends on obviously the community. Okay. Now, what, okay, so thank you. We've covered a lot here and I want to break it down and show kind of more in practice. Walk me through your first deal. So how was that? How did you go about it? How did you set it up and finance it under that scenario? And what were like, what were you surprised by? Or if I'm looking at this asset class, somebody's in it, you know, what was you were doing your first deal? What did you learn? And what did you have to do to get it done? Yeah, great question. And so our industry is like, your questions are spot on. Our industry has a lot of weird little curveballs and a lot of gray areas. Mm-hmm. So even when you're looking for an acquisition, cities in November don't really like it most of the time. So it's like kind of like a lot of the parks have been grandfathered in. Uh, one of the things you want to look for too is, uh, is make sure the zoning, like make sure like the number of house, the pads are actually there, uh, making sure that when you transfer ownership, like there's not going to be any issues with the locals, especially you got things, these small towns. If you're not like near a major metro, these small towns, like you see in these movies, they think they're like the boss because they're like one policeman and one, you know, the mayor's yeah. been there for 30 years and Bob's selling it. Now you're from the city or you're some big Wall Street guy or some rich guy in their eyes. Yeah. Let's make, let's give them problems basically, even though you're there to help beautify it, maintain in the community and provide us quality, safe, affordable housing to them. It's like, oh, they're getting rich off our, you know, our residents. Yeah. So 
one of the things we looked when I first looked for is like making sure you do all the due diligence background. Uh, back then you could go on, like there's a place, mobile home park store, a lot of stuff back then you could just go online and have a couple of brokers before it got super competitive. And we found the deal on there, local bank. We actually used the bank that the, uh, the former owner had. So it was an easy transition. So we didn't have to deal with, you know, they were familiar with the asset. They saw the money coming in. It was just kind of a nice trade off. Uh, but and give you an idea, like I said, the Fannie Freddie, but a bank is about two points higher. So uh, those are usually good for smaller parks. And if you could beautify and get up to like a, a Fannie Freddie type property, that's what you ideally want to do. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the things you want to look for is make, make sure you do your due diligence. Uh, don't always listen to what the person says that, because it's not what the seller says is what the government's going to allow you to do because yes. you become run into some headaches, you know, make sure you do due diligence. Uh, yeah. That's great Huge. advice. I love that. I, I, I've ran into that too. It's it's amazing. You know, it's a, oh yeah, the seller will say, oh yeah, you can do this. Oh yeah, that's not a problem, <laughs> everything. And then you go talk to the city and the city's like, no, no, you can't do any of that. <laughs> yep. No, that's awesome. Well, um, I, I, you know, I don't want to take up all your time. I know this was a shorter, we were doing a 30 minute one here, but this is just so fascinating to me and everything. Anybody else that here, I know a lot, people are going to have a lot of questions. Um, where can they find you, learn more about what you're doing? Where, where, where are you out there in the, in the worldwide web? <laughs> yeah. So our, we have two websites for the fund. So it's midwestparkcapital.com. And, and is that your focus more... area? Midwest? I know me and you talked about this, yeah. but I can't remember if I covered that on here. Yeah. So what, our, what are you target... Yeah. Tell, talk, talk yeah. to us about that real quick. Yeah, so we're, we're, uh, we like the Midwest for a couple of reasons. Uh, coastal cities have more compressed cap rates. It's more institutional. Uh, we, we could get better deals, but higher cash and cash, uh, better equity multiples in the Midwest because it always starts from the coastal cities and then moves in. Obviously, it's a shrinking, like we alluded to before, I won't go back to what we said before, it's shrinking and shrinking. But so there's still opportunity in the Midwest for good returns. Uh, we also like the Texas and Tennessee as, a, you know, the population moving there, it's safe, strong, stable economies. Uh, and our demographic too is working class. So a lot of the working class, if they're not a baby boomer, uh, the working class, this has been a great year to really demonstrate that. A lot of these, even for us in Illinois, it's going to be $15 an hour. So that's only going to give them a, even more buffet. It's a buffer from the you know the debt to what they have to pay their bills. So it makes them paying uh, the rent for mobile homes even easier, which is great. Um, so that's one of the reasons we like the Midwest and plus I've been, you know, this is my area. I'm very familiar with it. Uh, but if people want to find out more about the, uh, the fund it's Midwest park capital. And that's, that kind of gives like kind of the, the value points. Uh, one thing cool I didn't uh, allude to is like the, the cost appreciation schedule is we'll see if it changes this year with all the new, you know, incoming, uh, administration. So we'll see how some of that changes our dynamic and, but we still feel like the the parking issue is going to do very well for the next five or ten years at a minimum. So I I agree. I don't the and, and two. You know the reason why I believe that is a lot of the same reasons that I believe in in self storage. Except mobile home parks has something that's even way better. So the the thing that I've always talked about self storage, which I believe is the same threat to mobile home parks, and that is self storage. Self-storage is the main threat to self-storage and mobile home parks are the main threat. You get too much supply. The difference is they build self-storage everywhere and they 
they're not building any new mobile home parks. Right. So the economics of mobile homes, I believe, are probably the best out of any real estate asset class as far as the upward potential. Because every asset, you know, increases and all that. But all assets can get overbuilt in areas and they can be very severely affected through downturns where not only is mobile home um, recession resistant, but you have the government out there protecting your property like it's a monopoly. (laughs) So that's the one thing. And I think that's probably for me, like when I understood that, it was like, that's cool. And but I even liked it more after this recent development cycle in self-storage. So, you know, everyone that's listening to this knows self-storage is popping up on every single corner. And as we're caught in the evaluating markets, what it did is it limited the amount of markets. There's probably 80% of the markets in the United States I'm not even going to go into, right? I won't touch because they're overbuilt or there's too much demand or whatnot. That's completely inverse in mobile home parks. There's almost no mobile home park in the United States that I would be worried about oversupply. I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah. There's so much demand and the future demand of it, affordable housing will never go anywhere and they're just not building more. So I I love that aspect about that asset class. I think it's just fabulous. Yeah. And if, even if they could get some kind of zoning approval, it's a totally different business model because you'd have to bring in fifty, eighty thousand dollars houses per lot. The infrastructure go through all the court, you know, to get all the approvals and attorneys, and then you're not going to be profitable until you fill it up three or four years later. So you instead of buying, Matt here, <laughs> until you, until you have a, you know, a cash flowing business, it's not going to be worth it for four or five years. Instead, of, like the ones right now, they're already cash flowing business. So you, exactly. you literally have this beautiful cash flowing asset that provides a, a service that people need. And you can you kind of dictate the terms, which is crazy. Yeah. And the and the downsides that I hear to to mobile home park. Sorry, I know I asked you to tell me where you're going. I I've just got more questions. This this happens. Sure, sure. Yeah, go for it. Um, so you know when you look at the downsides to mobile home parks, the the downsides that I see are all manageable. That's the thing. People are like, oh, there's crime rates, high crime rates. I'm like, well. There is if you're not screening your tenants and you're not taking good care right. of your property and if you're not managing it well, then yeah, that's true. But I don't see how that's any different than apartments, right? right. And so when I look at the downsides or things that I would uh, find on downsides, even the turnover of mobile homes, like one gets old, what do you do with it? Well, that's actually can be a huge benefit and an asset to you because that allows you to put on new products right? Sell them or people default leave. You get the asset, sell it to somebody else. If you're doing the financing, like I just don't, the, the major downsides, I think to mobile home parks are perception issues, which I've never really cared about what other people thought too much. So that's always been fine for me. Um, and that I, am I missing something? Are there more downsides or what are the downsides that I'm missing? Cause there's always some, I know there are. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, yeah, the stigma is probably the first thing that was most people have to hurdle over that. Uh, the second is like in, in response to that, the crime. I think they've actually done. They've got enough data now. The rest, there isn't any actual increase in uh, mobile home parks. Maybe because you see the cop episodes back in the nineties or <laughs> whatever those TV shows. Yeah. They always seem to focus on that, but they've actually have done data, data studies on. It. There actually isn't like some increase in it, and it really comes down to two. When you're doing your due diligence, going back to that, go talk to local police, local government. Hey, I'm thinking about buying this. What's the story of this park? And then also, if it's like most of them are usually pretty good, but enforcing your rules, like I said, 
come in, like I'm the, the old owner was just so passive. It could be somebody was so hands off. You come and say, here's our rules. If you don't like it, you know, we'll more than we'll buy your trail. Then you can move out, you know, to wherever you want to go. Well, and two, isn't Greener it also pastures. like regionally or I guess location based? Like if you're in a high crime part of town, then of course there's going to be high crime at your, right. your thing. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with where it's located. Yeah. Right. And using the outskirts anyway, they, the sixties and seventies and up to the eighties was kind of like the, the heyday when the majority were built. Some of those actually had pretty good locations. And like some of these in Florida, like I said, were they're like waterfront locations. It's crazy. <laughs> and the Midwest, a lot of them are like in cornfields and like, you have your two factory jobs, you have a government jobs, you have your local prison. Those are like your major yeah. and your fast food restaurants, your major job suppliers. So, but another, and for, and in terms of down, uh, you know, pitfalls of the industry, I think the biggest thing is in terms of management, it does come down to for scale, for scaling, it comes down to, you usually want to have 75 to 250 because under that it's more of a job because then it's like balancing if it's under 75 units. Okay. How much is it going to cost to have a, you know, a decent manager besides having rent manager, besides having, you know, your marketing online, who's going to do the showings, who's going to make be the yeah. boots in the ground. Cause you don't want to be there every day unless you yeah. live right by there. But if you're scaling and you have like a couple two or three parks and they're like one's five hours away, this is three hours. That's where the hardest part. I think the institutional owners don't like those obviously for that reason. Yep. So that's the biggest opportunity for a smaller operator. Or somebody who wants to increase their family's wealth. They want to get one or two parks. That's the biggest opportunity. But for scaling wise, if you want to start building huge portfolio, those are not going to make sense. And so the management is like one of the biggest things in that regard. Uh, and then having systems and processing, like obviously uh, for managers, making sure they could have like use like a Slack, making sure we keep transparency with uh, use like call rail for any calls coming in. So we record the calls. Uh, and then also like Facebook market, like on the Facebook business page, you could see the to make sure the managers following up with any leads and, and having systems to process like, Hey, we, and then day, make sure that they're doing all their tasks. Yes. That's the key is having the management, doing your due diligence. Uh, and then also it's just coming down to, I think one of the biggest pain points is not being acquired. It's good because it's, you have your moat, but in the secondary is like, well, everyone's trying to get this asset and there's not yeah. enough parks to buy. So yep. that's your biggest, you'll have the cash, but you can't buy the, there's nothing to buy. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, awesome. Okay. We've already ran over our time, but thank you so much. I've been so curious. Now, once again, where do you have your website? Where else, where, where should people go? Yeah. So the Midwest Park Capital, and okay. then if they're a credit investor and they just want to see the PPM, go to MidwestParkCapitalFund.com. Uh, and then like Jonathan Tuttle Fish on Facebook. Perfect. That's usually the easiest way to get a hold of me. Perfect. Hey, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing more about this awesome asset class. I appreciate it, man. And uh, excited to see all you do in the future. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.